0: What's up, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to Armchair Producers. This is just a reminder that you can go over to twitch.tv slash thefriedbrain every Wednesday evening at around eight o'clock, and you can listen to us live, and you can actually also donate to us if you'd like. It does help support the channel, keep things running. Sorry
1: about that, I realised that we weren't actually live on any of us streaming channels. I know, I was being was refreshed on the... Um...
0: Oh, God, sorry. Can you see my video, though, still? I can Woohoo! All right, um, we'll do a second quick restart to the episode, and you missed about five minutes of us just talking. This is episode uh, uh, one hundred of the Armchair Producers. We're talking uh, currently talking about this week's chain movie, which is Lost in Translation. So carry on, please, Travis. You were talking about. Uh, a, a better in-depth explanation as to what was going on in
1: uh, for the story. Uh, we have um, uh, two characters here who are mm. at a loss, at a loose end in their lives, mm. um, who um, aren't really sure what's next for them in very different at very different life stages for them, and and they feel they're in this beautiful luxurious hotel in Tokyo, and they almost seem trapped by it. They almost mm. seem to be prisoners of their own you know inertia in this mm. I the right word um but uh, uh i really want to use a wanky word here but i can't really sure if, uh, if i'm going to pronounce it correctly because it's been a long time since i actually used it um but i want to say uh yeah but uh so i won't because i think i'm going to get it wrong um but um they're both sort of at this sort of you know emo-ish stage of our life where they don't want to Go out and explore the city, which is funny because I think I've actually kind of experienced that a little bit while traveling before. That you, you mm. look out the window at this incredible city around you, and you're kind of like, uh, I think I'm going to stay here in the hotel or what, <laughs> or unbound or something.
0: Because <laughs> you've been to Tokyo, haven't you? Uh, yeah, a couple of times. Mm. So. I guess my, my question, because I haven't been, does this movie kind of capture the, the vibe and feel of Tokyo as well? It because, really, really does. And
1: yeah. I actually ended up very much enjoying that aspect of the picture. Mm. Um, I just especially, so I guess where a film really comes alive and, and where some people, I guess they could sort of say this is boring. And I think I'd lump them into the same people who've been saying WandaVision is boring. Uh-huh. In the sense that they've forgotten how to enjoy things that aren't instant gratification. Um, yeah. But once uh, Bob and Charlotte actually come together um, in the um, uh, in the hotel and get start to get to know each other and I guess one would say bond to become friends, mm. um, they start to go out and explore the city a little bit together. It's almost like finding each other frees them from being prisoners in this hotel, yeah. and they almost feel free to actually go out and experience the the city and I, I really did get that feeling um, that uh, uh, it was a very reminiscent feeling of when I was in Tokyo for the first mm. time. Just the how weird he is. in <laughs> <What> a weird way, <laughs> it's how foreign yet so familiar it can feel. Because these cars and roads and you know familiar brands, like it was the walking across the Shibuya crossing, mm. you can clearly see was Starbucks. But at the same time, man, they go running through pachinko parlors and then. Karaoke and stuff like that. And it's just in the weird conversations you have with Japanese people who want to practice their English while talking to you um, and, you know, trying to really be polite and then pretend you understand what they're saying when you've got no idea. Um, because They're just so nice. Um, it I really did evoke a, a really strong feeling of what it's like to be a foreigner in um, mm. in, in Japan. It's a very novel experience. Mm. And in a way I, I, I have a slight criticism of a mm. film on that front in a sense. It kind of felt like to me at times it was, it was trading in Japanese cliches and stereotypes. Um, yeah. It didn't, it kind of felt like, um, and I have fairly strong feeling that, that Sophia Coppola wrote this based on personal experiences. The word on the street is the character of Charlotte was very loosely based on her mm. and Giovanni Ribisi's character was based loosely on her husband at the time. Uh, Spike mm. Jones. Oh, what a talented pair that was. Yeah. Um, and uh, ironically, two directors who I thought I would see a lot more of in the 21st century than I have.
2: Yeah. Um, but,
1: uh, so I feel like this is, and, and I know, so it was this was the scene in the, in the bar with a redhead singer. That singer is, is someone that Sofia Coppola saw singing in Tokyo and decided she wanted in the film and had to go track down later to get in this um, film. Uh, okay. So it's based on her experiences. And I don't feel like I, having only spent a couple of months there, in you know, over two trips, mm. feel qualified to write anything more than the story that would scratch the surface of, of you know, of Japanese culture. And I feel like I, anything I would write it based on my experiences there would be a little bit superficial and insulting. Mm. And I feel like at times that's what this the Japanese – side of the story kind of does actually feel like that to me it kind of feels like you know tourists first experience of tokyo and um yeah and you know i'm not sure it's a little bit like um a bit like the kirsten kirsten dunce did record a song once called hello kitty um Mm. yes she sings uh and i highly encourage everyone to look it up on youtube um hello kitty no so that was avril Levine recorded a song called hello kitty and uh, kirsten dunce recorded a cover of i'm um, turning japanese potentially the world's greatest ever song about masturbation um <laughs> I, I, i'm not lying <laughs> no, i know that's why i'm laughing <laughs> um so and they both sort of deal in these superficial you know uh cliches about japan kawaii culture you know mm, yeah. pachinko parlors arcades yada 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 mm. so while i did get the feeling of like oh when that moment where where Scarlia hansen's wandering around through the arcade watching the guy playing with the drums on the arcade machine mm. i watched friend of a show patria and uh, uh, playing let it go on one of those things once the uh yeah. the song um And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember what it was like being in one of those arcades because it's <laughs> a Gen X, so you're kind of like, I remember arcades. <laughs> Back and in I'm the day. Yeah, know,
2: I, but-
1: I kind of agree with you.
0: It it does feel like almost um, a creature of, of two movies that you never actually get to see the other one. It does feel like a kind of a genuine slice of the tourist experience of Tokyo but that world is not necessarily the all that Tokyo is that's that's kind of the world that tourists are shown you don't get you really don't see anything of a day-to-day life of someone living and working in Tokyo because you've got this person who's just living on the dime of her husband who's bored and going around and seeing tourist things and you've got a bored former movie celebrity who is as soon as he gets to the hotel everyone is meeting him and and shaking hands bowing and doing that very very high level uh, hospitality and customer service kind of thing which is not how people generally treat one another so it's it's like the almost like the public face of the tourist board of Tokyo that you're seeing here, which a lot of people go and do experience. That that's that's kind of what they want to see. They don't want to see the everyday life of it, but you get these little nuggets of of it, like just the the real conversations that they we are witness to of Bill Murray and Scarlett Johansson when they have their their night out and they kind of in these like trendy bars and things like that it's like okay those are these are genuine moments that people have they do get dressed up to go out into these nice places to kind of experience that higher life but you don't really get anything of i guess repercussions or ramifications for any of the characters in this movie or the world it's very much this kind of surface level thing that i think the way that we are introduced to both our lead characters is kind of the point of it they're both bored with what they're surrounded by they're both you know that one of the first interactions that they have is bill murray saying to her i'm planning a prison break and she says okay i'm in and then the next time they meet so like we're going out and it kind of does almost feel a little bit like a prison break movie but for the soul rather than a literal kind of getting out of this legitimate
1: Space. And I kind of feel there's an element of white privilege in here. I know it's just getting yeah. a little more political perhaps than we intended. Um, but in the sense that you have to, I mean, one has to acknowledge their white privilege when they're in Japan, I think. Um, mm-hmm. it, there is a privilege that applies to you. I mean, it's the only place I've actually had someone giving the finger because I was white. Um, and it's probably the only place I've ever been where it was very obvious I wasn't from around there, right? So,
2: um,
1: you know, <laughs> where people will be in bars and people will walk past and go, Gaijin! you know, which I've always said if you're making if someone that did that in Australia, they wanted past someone in a bar they thought wasn't an Australian and said, foreigner, yeah, um, that would be not cool, but apparently that's not so, so not so uncool in Japan to call someone a foreigner. Um, yeah. I wasn't offended. Um, I was quite amused. But um, <laughs> the white privilege in the sense that, like, Scarlett Johansson can just wander into an Ikebana class and have someone start showing him how to do a Japanese flower arrangement. Mm. And they can just sort of waltz through Japanese society and everybody can give them a pass and go, they're white, you know, right? They don't know anything about what's going on. Yeah. Um, so that, that occurred to me a little bit as well. Despite of that, I still enjoyed the, the journey through Japanese culture because I'd done it myself. Yeah, um, but the fact that the film just kind sort of scoots through on um, tourist mode is a you know, is a weakness of the film. I think.
2: Mm, I where think where it
1: comes into its own, though, no, I think, is in the performances and in the the relationship between Charlotte and Bob. It's so a hundred intelligently done. You do yeah. not see films made like this not not in the early 2000s, okay. certainly not now, and yeah. I think they're rare. Yeah.
0: 100% this is as we've talked about a, a few times um through our chain movies there is, a lot of these movies have ended up being very obvious kind of character driven pieces and this is entirely a character driven piece where we are slow they they slowly reveal themselves to us through some of the very best um just it it almost feels kind of unscripted, and I wouldn't be surprised given Bill Murray's apparently legacy. you're right.
1: Apparently, scenes were many scenes were very loosely scripted and were mm. sort of like they given a you know a rundown on what was happening. Yeah, but in terms of dialogue, a lot of it was left up to, especially Bill Murray, to actually yeah. improv.
0: Yeah, and I I think that uh, that that shines through because it does feel very organic. All of the conversations that and the way that he's kind of joking but polite with all of his handlers whenever he's kind of stepping off of a um, elevator and things like that. That's it screams very Bill Murray, but it also is very in in line with the character and um, Scarlett Johansson. This is still relatively early into her career this was before she just this was right at the point of her exploding on the scene of of Hollywood and she she, was
1: 17 when this was made by the way
0: yeah and this she she keeps up with Bill Murray which is pretty good (laughs) you know that's pretty good accolade I think
1: uh yeah I mean it's interesting I I watched a little interview of it she did on the Howard Stern show talking about this and Mm. Um, she sort of notes how difficult it was. at sort of points to, I think it's well known, Bill's that he's not easy to work with, mm. um, <laughs> and I suspect she was finding trying to find a very polite way to say that in this um, in this interview that he was a bit tricky to work with. But mm. especially if not for no other reason then he was an extraordinarily experienced actor at that point, a movie, so real movie star, yeah, as opposed to Scarlett being seventeen. She had done some work as a young person, mm-hmm. um, but really before this, I think her big breakout for me was Ghost World, which mm. came out in 2001. So yeah, just a couple of years before this, she was, um, she, as you sort of say, she was right on the cusp of stardom, but, mm. but working opposite a genuine, you know, movie icon like Bill Murray would have been intimidating for sure.
2: Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. And but
1: they, they, she sort of notes she, she doesn't. When you realize that Bill's improving a lot of your stuff, mm. the way that she responds to it is 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 really impressive.
0: Yeah, it's uh, kind of heartfelt. Um, but at the same time still very much in keeping with the kind of character that we're presented through these long periods where it's just her or just him in their rooms doing nothing, not really saying much. It, this could almost play like a silent movie for half of it, because nothing of actual consequence is really um, spoken. It's all just bullshit that everyone's talking, and everything that kind of feeds into Bill Murray's distant wife. You you literally see it, so like the faxes that come through and stuff like that. It it
1: could kind of play as a silent movie for a great portion of it, and uh, maybe it's. Maybe that's what I enjoy about it. I always mm. like my That was supposedly a show about nothing. Um, <laughs> you know, I think it's a, you learn a lot about these characters before we start doing stuff together. Mm. Uh, and I and I kind of enjoy that, um, to get a chance to actually sit down, spend half an hour getting to yeah. know our two characters before their, what passes for adventure
2: <laughs> mm. <laughs>
1: starts. Uh, and what is the adventure? The adventure is, forming a, a human relationship with somebody else, which I suspect might not have happened for a long time
2: mm.
1: for either of them for various reasons. I mean, Scarlett's had just less time. She was so young. But yeah. um, and in a way, I don't know. Like I've, I've It's been described as a romantic melancholy. I don't know that I felt. I know when I walked out of this the first time,
2: mm.
1: I didn't feel like I'd seen a romantic movie. Mm. Or romance. I didn't feel like like Bill Murray and Charlotte and Bob's mm. relationship was mm. a romantic one. I always felt like what I'd seen form between the two of them was almost a incredibly powerful platonic bond. Mm. Uh, now, that's open for interpretation. There is a very awkward kiss. Yeah, in the lift. And then there's the hug at the end where he says something. Mm. Um, but I don't know. I, I wonder what do you think? I I never really saw
0: the romantic side of it. It is a very very close bond that they um develop and it's something that I've got a sort of association with or experience with when I was traveling around Europe. Stuff so there were people that I would be um just randomly be in the hostels with and I'd have these deep meaningful very honest open conversations and we wouldn't really kind of talk about or introduce ourselves. It would just be sitting there in the dining hall or whatever and or in the bar, just having a drink, and we'd just start talking about it. So like, you know what I did? And you just have this kind of instant, fast friendship that means so much in the moment while you're there, and then you kind of drift away. I am of the opinion that these two had this very, very intense platonic traveler's bond i guess and probably didn't think about each other too often or just every now and then like whenever they happen to see something about tokyo they go "Oh yeah i remember that that was they were a highlight for me i remember charlotte i remember bob um but the the big thing for me the the tag that i find kind of hard to really quantify is this is qualified as a comedy and Yes, there are funny elements, but it's, I don't know if it really
1: warrants a true tag of comedy. Comedy is a very broad description, though. Yeah. But um, I can get it. Like, there are some genuine jo- laughs in here. It's it's amusing in parts.
2: Mm.
0: It's it's kind of I – th- I think that a lot of the comedy, for me, comes through with very, a lot of the stereotypical stuff, like the – smash two shot of bill murray being head and shoulders taller than everyone else in the um uh the elevator or the the shower not quite reaching high enough for him those kinds of things and I'm going
1: on a japanese game tv show that was in fact i think some of my favorite moments in this film were just the two of them sitting here watching japanese tv because you're like yeah. yeah i did that
2: and,
1: <laughs> and japanese tv is It's a a different breed. Yeah, really, part of the experience is um, (laughs) sitting in your hotel room because there are no, generally speaking, at least in my experience, most of the hotels I stayed in did not have any English language programming at all, not even CNN, Um, which is pretty much the standard no matter where you're going to run. Most hotels have like a Bloomberg or a CNN or something talking about stocks and business. Um, But you end up just flipping through Japanese channels of these bizarre. You know, talk show, light entertainment things that sort of seem very, very popular over, or simmer wrestling. Those seem to be the two things I had to choose from, uh, and it's an experience in of itself. So I, I very much enjoyed enjoyed mm. those scenes, and I found them amusing because they said they said a lot about their reactions without necessarily saying anything.
0: Yeah, that's that's very true. It's very true. But I th- I think that this was a real great um display of especially coming off of the really melancholy drama of virgin suicides coming into this sophia Coppola really showed that she has the capability to do a lot of range a lot of variation of story storytelling and especially going from um an adapted screen uh, adapted screenplay book um about suicide to an effervescent loosely scripted comedy about nothing that's that's kind of the the polar opposite of what you've just come from so she was i think she was really stretching herself and she she, she proved she, herself
1: very I mean, worthy you pulled it off tremendously yeah. well um, yeah it, it's it i enjoy this every bit if not more than I think I did 20 years ago. She won an Oscar mm. for this, by the way. Yeah. i mean the first woman to win that, or one of the first few. Mm. Um, I mean, I just thought to pull up on, on one scene in this film that I actually talked about in my other podcast, The Throwback, available now on Spotify. Um, <laughs> and we were reviewing last night, Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Don't ask. Do not ask. Um, and interestingly, in that film, uh, is we star Sarah Jessica Parker. Mm. There's a scene where she's in her bedroom watching television or fucking something. I don't know. Um, and she's just hanging around in her underpants and like a singlet. Mm. And both my co-host Susie and I were looking at each other when we watched it going, that doesn't really seem legit. Like and then her brother walks in and goes, Hey, blah, blah, blah. Here's some plot exposition. Mm. Um, and you're like, yeah, nah, I don't reckon you're getting around in your underpants like that. And you know, your door open and shit. Like, just because you're a hot teenage girl, right? Like, that seems kind of male gazy. Uh, anyway, um, I was actually, um, I was actually, uh, oh, g'day. I think it's Juan in the chat there, I think. Uh, uh, g'day, Juan. Hey, um, Juan. And um, there's a scene, you're being seen in this film. I actually referenced this in last night's show, is basically a close up on Scarlett Johansson's bum. Yeah. <laughs> And in semi see through underpants, which apparently uh, Sophia Coppola to make it feel comfortable had to do it herself first. This um, is a nice little move. Um, uh, Quentin Tarantino jumps cars;
2: <laughs> she wears underpants.
1: Um, but what what I found interesting about it was you, you sort of go. I remember this scene because you know it was memorable, and um, <laughs> you know you sort of look at it for a second. He's just sort of you're basically focusing on this young girl's bum you're like, okay, that's a bit, that's a bit racy. That's a bit sexist. That's not really, with that fly today. And you go, hang on a second though. This is a female writer director. Yeah. This isn't by accident. She's not doing this by accident. Like she's not, this is not Zack Snyder directing sucker punch, right? Like these masturbatory fantasy of what girls do when they're in a, an asylum together. Um, it's, it's, a, it's an actual woman who, who, who's done this and, and, that's, and I really liked it. it was, when you stop and think about it for a second, the scene just hangs there, and then it hangs there, and then it hangs there for a bit longer. 38 seconds that shot takes of her, her bum. And you start yeah. to feel really uncomfortable um, about, um, you know, this scene. You're like, okay, I've seen it. It's a very nice bottom. Can we move? Oh, no, we're staying on that scene. Um, I, I really enjoyed that, that, that. She's sort of telling us something about the male gaze right there and, filmmaking as a whole, you know, male filmmakers sort are of focusing on that kind of thing. Cause I also watched uh, once upon a time in Hollywood again this week. Um, and again, there's another Tarantino does it in the scene as well. He sort of, he sort of sits there looking at Margaret Qualley's ass for about 30 seconds. And you're like, no, I don't, I don't like that. But here <laughs> we go. I mean, Sophia was a really interesting uh, way to open the film.
0: Yeah. And it, it wasn't just that it opened up, on the bum but it was completely out of context to everything and it was just this shot of a very lovely bum on a bed and then eventually just this little bit of music comes in and the title comes up and then it fades away so like that's that's it so like okay that's definitely a title card people would remember but it also kind of speaks to the character of Charlotte as well. You know, everyone has had those moments where they're bored, depressed, lethargic and they just lie on the bed doing nothing in their undies. And it's like, yep. I know exactly how that person is feeling by just I, think I, I,
1: think lying. I did that for about three days in New York City once and just watched our <laughs> Lord Order reruns on telly <laughs> uh, I'm yeah, so it was it was a genuine pleasure to see a film on like intelligent, mm. slow Creative storytelling, yeah. Uh, now I think you get to pick because I picked this, I do, but we do have
0: a unique opportunity here. Um, so I will just posit this live. We are on episode 100. Do we want to keep doing chain movies? It does offer us a nice uh, versatility and variety, but we can also end it or start a new chain or whatever. It has well, been going for about a
2: year
1: now, but yeah. <laughs> I like it. I think it actually <laughs> otherwise, it it's an it actually adds a bit of direction to this, in the sense that like otherwise it's just kind of like <laughs> we've tried a few different approaches. How we dare had, you?
2: How dare you it's
1: uniformity. We had seasons for a while where we did like a whole bunch of Steve Gutenberg films. That just all seemed a bit random. This kind of does add a little bit of a all right. It adds a bit of conformity and direction and we know, you know, it's, it's a random direction, but each week we're picking a different direction. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Alright, so um, how did we even
0: get here? Oh, it was Edward, that's right. Yes, Bill Murray. There we go. It's, you know, it's hard to keep track sometimes. So well, I am going to take us, I'm going to use the someone we haven't Mentioned at all, except just one passing, uh, passing reference to Giovanni Ribisi. So he's a he's a talented actor who just pops up in some unusual projects. So I I expected
1: to see a lot more of this century, but really, really haven't.
0: Yeah, but we're going to go with Giovanni Ribisi, and we are going to go to, um, The Gift.
2: Oh,
0: okay. Yeah, this is a Sam Raimi joint from a few years ago. Um, And it stars uh, Cate Blanchett. It has got, um, obviously, Giovanni Ribisi. It's got Greg Kinnear, Katie Holmes, uh, Keanu Reeves. Um, Oh, it's even got J.K. Simmons in it as well. as The Sheriff, which I totally forgot about.
1: It's an interesting little... The gift you say?
2: Yes. I'm pretty okay, sure.
1: I think you have Joel Edgerton film. You're going back 20 years here. Yeah. So this is an... Oh, old, I remember old. this thing. This thing's a giant pile of shit.
0: But it does afford a lot of interesting... a lot of places to go. Places from to go. And it was written by Billy Bob Thornton as well.
1: That so explains it's, a lot.
0: Yeah. So it's an interesting creature to go to. Hillary Swank, Michael Jeter... Kim Dickens, Gary Cole. Gary Cole. Yeah. <laughs> <I'm afraid. laughs> so that is where we're going. I'm not it's not the worst movie in the world. no right. it was just like it I is
1: when it came out, we're sort of expecting a lot of it, and you're like yeah, that was <laughs> really that was kind of kinda of crappy, but um but not yeah, you know, revenge of a teenage Vixen from out of space crappy.
0: That's true, and uh not Death Machine crappy.
1: No, well, I, I don't think we've plunged those anywhere near those depths since. Yeah. By that said, I did watch uh, Girls Just Want to Have Fun. <laughs> you're, just,
0: you're just torturing yourself for no reason there, my friend. I didn't friend. Kick
1: that. It was on the wheel.
0: Yeah. Never trust a wheel. We had a wheel of Heigl, and that was just 100%. You it
1: once we only used it once fortunately we fortunately. should watch airplane thank you miss foxy bi uh, welcome back foxy <laughs> no that was a different fox that was a fox some picks up something around it um but um i know this and and airplane is a it's called fucking flying high in this country no, but everywhere else in the world it's called airplane, which makes more sense anyway. <laughs> One the gift you should check it out. Um yes. I think it might be on Amazon in Australia, I'm not sure, but um I'll do it, a quick check, hang on. Um it's uh, a bit hard sometimes. Like I said, make sure you get the two thousand version here and not the yes. 20- 15 version i think was the joel edgerton film correct yeah um, also oh. actually i would say it's a better film than the 2000 film oh. but uh unfortunately giovanni rabisi isn't in it
0: mm. um and so yeah. we may have difficulty getting the gift legally because it apparently is not available on any streaming services and you can't even rent or buy it but um that's a bit silly yes
1: but, we, um, do, we do endeavour to to do things legally where we can. But, yeah. I mean, uh, as my usual argument goes, if you're not going to let me buy it...
0: Yeah. Between the two of us, I think we're probably signed up to pretty much every streaming service available in Australia. And if that isn't enough money to to get it,
1: what are we going to do? Get your studio shit together. But sometimes yeah. it is interesting that some of the, um, the quirks that these little films go through, I think I talked a while ago about there was a um the film I read about with Chris O'Dowd in it which actually uh is never getting released oh literally completed but for some reason for insurance purposes it, it was the insurance company paid out on it I don't fully understand it but um they basically destroyed the print how
0: strange
1: um how strange. because yeah, yeah it, that was. That was considered, you know, that if a, if a, the insurance company had to pay out, mm. um, then that was um they weren't going to let anybody ever see it. Which seems a bit strange, but it seems um, strange
0: that, that I mean, you know, a Chris O'Dowd movie gets destroyed, and yet it's still you're still able to get movies that are unequivocally entirely wrong in so many ways Uh, you know birth of a nation and things like that there's there's copies still available and stuff it seems so bizarre in this modern world that there are movies that don't get
1: released but you know legal things are the legal things i guess in a way if you know it never aired anywhere um now if i'm wrong people i'm sure i read that somewhere i can't remember Uh the name of the film um, but if I, if you, if you think I'm wrong, tell me I'm wrong. Um, and hello, okay. Chewy Southpaw. Welcome. Um, welcome Chewy. Uh, I, I, welcome back. It's been a calmer couple of weeks in your neck of the woods. Hopefully. Um, <laughs> we're talking about films that get destroyed by insurance companies. Um, anyway, yes, <laughs> we do. Um, but yes, uh, it is frustrating that you know you can't there are certain films you still can't access but what i was trying to get to the point um, <laughs> I um dare you was it that sometimes that's why these films can't be like let's say the original yeah. film comp distributor went broke and it's not clear who owns the rights and mm. these. Can, i always tell the story when i went to the um the uh the melbourne film festival got to be 15 years ago um mm. uh, they were they had a special on george romero's films he was the he was the focus was on him and he was a guest of a festival. And I sat right behind him at a screening of Dawn of the Dead, which was pretty fucking exciting. Not bad. Not um, bad. But the thing is that they came out and they did a talk and they actually, the festival people were like, we went to the film distributors and we offered to pay on our dime to make a new print, to get a new print made of the original, of the original, you know, whatever you, the original negative yeah. of the film. And they said, no, <laughs> it's so weird. I, I, I get, why some things just
0: aren't available in for certain reasons at certain times, like the acquisition of Fox by Disney. Um, they'll, you know, Fox had distribution rights and streaming rights to all the different streaming services while they were still their own independent entity, and they would obviously be locked up for multiple years. Is one of the reasons why um, uh, things like Deadpool are only just. Kind of about to be introduced to the new subdivision of disney plus which is disney plus star which is disney going to be all the context adult context stuff which i think we talked about last week um you know with we're probably going to see if, if there's going to be a new movie or tv show the punisher that's probably where it's going to live because no one wants a pg punisher um so timelines and things will expire eventually and then they will get consolidated in different places but it's one of the benefits of Disney is the fact that they are owning everything themselves. They will be able to showcase everything eventually. Whereas Warner Brothers, they don't really care about that. And their HBO Max service is not available anywhere but the US. And they still have these long standing rights agreements with Fox and all of that stuff.
1: One second. I think the dog wants to be let in. So this is the annual or weekly tradition on the show where the dog is allowed into the room. That's Archimedes. He's yes. I'm Mr. Colon. Welcome <laughs> to the show. <laughs>
0: yes. So now, should we move on to our next recurring segment?
1: Yes, let's talk about WandaVision.
0: WandaVision. Now, advanced warning for anyone who has not seen Episode 5. We will be talking about it now, so shut us off. Uh, 15 20 minutes as we talk about it um but most people seem to be watching it and now that it has taken on included more of the more up-to-date um uh you know or more in line with normal mcu more, more people are watching it i think now um because it certainly seems to be that people who didn't like the first couple of episodes ago oh yeah i really like it now it's
1: like, okay Late on the train, bastards. As long as they got there, I guess we should just be happy. But um, yeah. this is also a very, this new episode is called on a very special episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wanda addresses visions worries as he grows suspicious of the neighbor's strange behavior, uh, and things are starting to get pretty fucked up in Westview. Yes, Westview? Um, we learned last week. We saw what's going on outside. We've got sword. Doing their thing with uh-huh. scientists and 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 you mean doing sciencey stuff uh, and they've picked up the, uh, the TV recording of the TV show that's going on in the sitcom. Uh-huh. Um, they tried to infiltrate and we saw how far that got them with uh, Monica giving the uh, the boot. Um, we we saw the guy try and get in through the drains and that didn't have any more success. Uh-huh. Uh, we uh this week they tried a drone. That didn't really go well for them either.
0: No, it did not. Um But this is definitely um one of those I guess in many ways you'd kind of simile this episode because it is episode five out of nine for this for this current season. If it is just gonna be going on for more. But um this is like the almost equatable to like the red wedding from game of thrones where it was that mid-season so like what the fuck um shit all coming coming together and you are getting tantalizing suggestions of where the story could go next explanations of why there's why the show has been the way it has been and I am so happy how this is going. I predicted a lot of the development of this and I particularly, particularly predicted the cameo that happens at the end. Um,
1: It was coming though.
0: Yeah. I mean, there were rumors that he was going to be there, but I predicted this before those rumors came out before episode one. I'm a very smart boy. (laughs) Give me my moment. Damn it.
1: (laughs) Um I heard it called like a seventy seven point four billion dollar uh, cameo or whatever it was. Um, yeah, uh, I enjoyed very much seeing Wanda the uh, Wanda almost become a bad guy. Uh, yeah. you know, uh, in this scene where she she sort of broke character and walked out and mm-hmm. told the sword guys what was what. Yeah. Um, and then there was a scene also there was sort of a scene when she almost goes head to head um with vision himself when he you know they both sort of rise up and, and mm-hmm. sort of tear each other down that would be a fight for the ages those two mhm yeah it's
0: you know there's there's enough um going on there's sort of like suggestions that this is kind of a retelling of the house of m comic series which is a fantastic comic series i don't know whether they're going to do it cuz they've done a lot of inspired by comics in the mcu there's like um uh the alcoholism slash self-destructive nature of tony stark in iron man 2 slash 3 they didn't go as deep and dark in that and um there's kind of the ant-man characters of the original ant-man he was a horrible wife beater in a number of comics and they you know show that he's not a good dad and he wasn't necessarily the best husband in the world but they definitely skirt away from that (laughs) so i don't know how close to house of m they're gonna stick with what goes on but if they stick with this as a story of a superhero not being able to cope with the death of a loved one and giving them the legitimate reason why they would turn bad Wanda and her fucking powers could be a huge bad guy. She could end up becoming a new the new bad guy for phase four. Because much like how in the Batman Chris Nolan movies At the end of the first movie, we had um, Gary Oldman saying, oh, what about escalation? And, of course, you've got the Joker as the main bad guy in the second one, and then you've got Bane, and it's the escalation of psychological warfare versus literal physical warfare of the third one. You had one very, very physical domineering bad guy in Thanos for the first 10 years of MCU. You can't do that again. It would feel very boring and you don't have 10 years worth of buildup to satisfy that for the audiences. So you need to go a different way, which is one of the reasons why it seems like everything that we're hearing about the new phase is a lot darker. It's a lot more twisted. And the fact that this is the first thing that we're being presented with and it is dealing with a lot more difficult stuff like the death of the puppy that turns up um the the fact that wanda is uh, at, at their minimum surface level she is doing all of this out of grief for losing vision in endgame or Infinite, uh, infinity war it's all a lot darker stuff than what they've been traditionally you using as material in the mcu and the fact that they are bringing up stuff that goes out elsewhere. It's they, I, I doubt that they will go as dark as I want them to, but I'm really enjoying what they're doing so far. So I'm in it for... i like the quiz
1: one here. One says I rewatched all of it and episode five at the end is the only part of it that I enjoyed. Are you saying, one that you only enjoyed that part of episode five or the end of episode five was the only part of a series you've enjoyed so far? Mm. Um, the other thing, I mean, I, I read an article yesterday um, called All the Easter Eggs. That you have and you've missed in the series so far, mm. um, and there are, I guess, for better or for worse, all sorts of different things they're sort of referencing and setting up there. Mm. Uh, one thing that I thought was interesting was a set uh, a, a, a indication of a character called the Grim Reaper, mm. uh, whose helmet appears in in a scene, an animated scene in the uh, in the show, um, and I think he's the kind of guy who could be a. A villain who has a long history with the adventures mm-hmm. potentially could be something um, they could use. I'm and with you. It could definitely the way if you think back to age of Ultron, mm.
2: um,
1: which we've talked I me, mean, interesting how central that film has become now um, that, that Wanda was actually kind of set up as a villain in that. Um, yeah. she was just under the um, control or influence of Hydra at the time. Um, but I always felt like it felt, I felt pretty unsatisfied one of many unsatisfying things about that film was how easily Wanda and Pietro sort of just changed sides and went over to join mm. the Avengers. It didn't seem like a, you kicked kick your ass a couple of times, but, you know, in the end, it, 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 it he wasn't really much of a threat to the Avengers because they managed to bring her on side pretty quickly. So, yeah. Um, it would be an interesting setup i mean there's so many things they could do but i mean the the Mm. introduction of pietro is thought i mean we don't know what it is now but i mean it looks like it's the introduction of mutants to to the mcu so it's Mm. the introduction essentially he is the the entry point uh the spike protein if you will of (laughs) uh of the x-men characters into the mcu um so i did appreciate the fact that the obviously because the the the
0: show within the show keeps on jumping forwards decades that the decade that they were on was also queued up with the time period of those movies as well so it's like okay i like that that's that's fair. The last time we saw him was in the, the 90s interpretation of the X-Men, and he turns up in the very Full House-inspired kind of um, introduction and way that the, um, the episode is kind of uh, displayed to us.
1: I guess a, a question for you. Mm. Um, what thing were you to do a long time ago? mm You got naked pictures of Kevin Feige. Mm-hmm. hand you the keys to the mcu Mm -hmm. but they do tell you we now want to introduce the mutants however we're going to do it okay Mm. the next avengers film is the x-men versus the avengers do you recast uh the main x-men characters or do you try and bring across as many existing you know McCallum, james mcavoy patrick stewart Huge Jackman, you know, those guys. Who do you do you try and get as many of a recognized X-Men stars into that picture?
0: Um, hmm. I think that they're potentially gonna kind of I think that we're uh, there was an article I read online, and I think they're absolutely right. Um Marvel and DC are kind of in another arms race. Um they were previously in a bit of an arms race for the fact that Thanos was making his true appearance the same year that he potentially, before it turned out to be Se- Steppenwolf, um, going to be the bad guy in Justice League. And that was a bit controversial because uh, Thanos came was created after Darkseid was created. So the DC character came before the Marvel character and the Marvel character made it to screen first and was much better portrayed, let's be honest. And now we're in a position where everything we're hearing about the flash movie there's multiple batmans and things like that and they're going to be going across different universes and things like that and it feels like they're kind of doing the same thing again in the mcu where i think that they are doing this you know the fact that it's not the same pietro that we saw in ultron the fact that it was from a different universe shall we say it just instantly opens up the door that that's a thing that's a thing that can happen so they can pick and choose and they can go all right how much is it going to take to get patrick stewart ian mckellen james mcavoy huge jackman and all of those people back can we get them do they want to do it yes no all right let's move on let's recast let's get let's recast and get another
1: person in as a younger wolverine so that we can uh, can you do that? if i get if i can get ian mckellen um, James McAvoy, James Marsden, fucking. I don't know. Uh, Kelsey Grammer wants to come back as beast. I don't know. Uh, I can get all those guys, or right? I can get maybe get you get Stuart McAvoy, let's say.
2: Mm.
1: Uh, and and sorry, McKellen, Um, and get rid of Anna Packwin. Yeah, she's fine. <laughs> Um, she, she was never a good guy. Do you is it is it all or nothing? You can um, you get can you cast, you know, uh. I don't know. Um who's that guy who played Han Solo is um Oh, Alden Ehrenreich. Alden Ehrenreich you cast you Alden Ehrenreich as Wolverine or something and um, and and try and just don't mention the war. <laughs> I think that the they have a
0: very important character that can play with that more than anything else in the DC canon. And unless potentially they were to d c was to bring in plastic man the only uh, the only character that can really do it for d c is plastic Man because of his broken brain for Marvel they have got Deadpool where he has already name checked the two different actors playing um, xavier in within the fox universe. So the fact that he is being brought in, he is going to be continued on as part of the MCU. He is the only person that can be that literal member of the audience that goes, oh, wow, this is so confusing. You don't know you, but you I know you two because I was at the bar and he can be that bridge and he can kind of write people out through witty comedy if he want if they want him to and i think that they could potentially use that as an option for getting rid of some of the characters they're sort of like okay well james marston we didn't really get a chance to see him truly take on the cyclops character the guy that was cyclops in the the young x-men movies didn't really do anything we can just write out Cyclops and we can start a new one and there can be a silly line about, Oh my God, a third Cyclops. This is stupid. How, how, how do you have three Cyclopses? Is that, is that, uh, you know, one Cyclops, you know, do you, do we have to call you Triclops now or something? That's is a He-Man movie. Triclops was a He-Man character. (laughs) (laughs) There's the, there's the next carryover, (laughs) but you know, something like that. And then it's like, okay, business as usual, carry on they have a lot of avenues where they can play with this if they if they are even going to try and unify the universes because they could very well just keep them as different universes and you've got two characters that can jump from one to another three kind of you got wanda who can obviously bring characters from other universes in some way shape or form you've got doctor strange who can travel to the different universes as is very evident through his performances and the fact that is the multiverse of madness is his sequel and you've got deadpool who can i who is capable of breaking the fourth wall and talking directly to the audience about it they've got plenty of options to keep them all or delete them and it would be really funny if they did delete them because they would be able to bring Crisis of Infinite
1: Earths to the screen before DC does, really. I really hope that's on their agenda somewhere. I really do. Like, I mean, someone, someone's whiteboards. Um, mm. Because, I mean, if anyone can do it, Marvel can. Mm. They've, they've, proven, f- they've, got the, they've got the runs on the board. Absolutely. Uh, it, it'd be fascinating to see where they go next from here. I enjoyed this episode very much. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but I've enjoyed all of them, so that's a shock to anybody who's a regular listener. <gasps> How dare um, you have a consistent thought? Uh, it's just so deep and well mm. thought out. Um, mm-hmm. And I also enjoyed uh, uh, my uh, friend who I watched the episode of my, uh, this week's WandaVision with, did point out it was interesting to see Elizabeth Olsen appearing in a show very heavily influenced by uh, Full House, which, of yeah. course, starred uh, her sisters. And we were kind of like, what are yep. you cool? They made a cam- cameo. But, yeah. we <laughs> we should be so lucky it would it
0: would you know it could be just a blink and you miss them in the background they're part of just residents of westview that's all, or something all like that in,
1: it would be it would, it would be interesting i assume they're too busy smoking crack or something um to <laughs> um yeah to, to uh to get involved in, in anything as piddly as as a you know uh as a as, you know a tv show like um they, they, need, oh, they, they actually own the house that, it, um, that uh, Heath Ledger died in. It's their fault, obviously. Interesting that they don't seem to act anymore.
0: I don't think that's interesting. I, was, I <laughs> just found them interesting. <laughs>
2: oh, harsh. Harsh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> fucking
1: crack, that would, be, that would be why.
2: Yeah.
1: All right. Well, should we
0: um uh, move Before on? I guess so, let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: do you want to talk about occupation, or shall I just have not my- really? But um, I will. All right. Uh, so, what's occupation? Occupation is a film you can find in Australia at least on the Netflix,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and it is an Australian action science fiction drama. Okay. It is a very rare combination of things. Mm-hmm. You do not see many australian science fiction films at all you don't see genre cinema in australia at all really an odd horror film here or there but yeah um mad max is probably the only one i can you know the most obvious choice um and is that Mm -hmm. science fiction kind of um anyway occupation made in 2018 a small group of town residents have to band together after a devastating ground invasion as they struggle to survive. They realize they must stay one step ahead of their attackers and work together for a chance to strike back. I agree, Chewie, by the way. Mad Max is just, it's shit. And I can't wait to see what George Miller does with Anya T- Taylor-Joy in the Furiosa spinoff.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's going to be now, Hopefully, he gets to make it here.
2: Mm,
0: quick point of clarification here, Travis. Is this Occupation Rainfall
1: or the 2018 Occupation? 2018 Occupation? It's occupation okay. Rainfall is the sequel to this, okay. um, which has just come out and is playing in cinemas here in Australia.
0: Okay.
1: Um, and I saw that um, getting billboards and stuff.
2: Yeah. An yes.
1: And you're like, um, again, that's an interesting thing about the, fact, the world we're in now the fact that this would never have got anywhere near a multiplex in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe one or two screens somewhere, uh, but it would never get billboards on the side of a freeway under normal circumstances. But here we are. Um, so in a way, that's a good thing. Um, so Occupation, the original, which is on Netflix, um, is directed by Luke Spark. Never done anything else of interest or note um, that I've ever seen. Um, probably the only notable uh, star in this is Tamira Morrison.
2: Mm-hmm. Mr. Boba Fett.
1: Mr. Boba Fett. He was, of course... In the wonderful New Zealand film Once Were Warriors, he was mm. also Tom Curry in Aquaman. Yes, he was. Yes. So he gets around. Um, there are, you know, Australians might recognise a couple other faces in here. Yeah, um, there's a, a few that I
0: recognise, yeah.
1: A couple of them have been in, um, you know, Home and Away, I think, the long-running the, long running, um, uh, the long running, uh, you know, soap opera. We've got uh, Bruce Spence speaking of Mad Max. I uh, didn't even recognize him, but yeah, Aaron Jeffrey is someone who's been stuff.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, uh, I thought that was him, by the way, and I think you might recognize um, Mr. Jeffrey because he was in the interview, which we watched last year with Hugo Weaving.
2: Oh, was
1: young, yeah, cop, right? yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and you have a name in here I guess Aussies might recognize is uh, the fabulous uh, Jacqueline McKenzie, um, probably best known for her role in Romper Stomper back in the '90s. Um, Holy shit! Yeah. Um, we got to try and find a reason to watch that. That's really good. Oh, it is a good. One. Um, but anyway, all of these wonderful, mm. stray, well-known Australian actors—you know, mm. uh, one reasonably well-known international star—a fair mm-hmm. amount of money on it. The special effects in this are reasonable. Okay. Uh, Adds up to significantly less than the sum of (laughs) the parts. This film is a giant fucking turd of a movie. Like, this film fucking sucks. It has a 4.8 on IMDb. It has a 45-minute score. Both are generous. Okay. Um, I have no idea what a trial it was to get through this fucking thing. I tell you what. um. It's the script is so badly written. It's written by Luke Spark as well as Felix Williamson um, and Felix being one of the actors in the film. And it's so full of cliche and you know, <laughs> tired, tired tropes. The, the actors are forgettable to a person like, and I, I don't know but that's well, none of them are good. They're mm. certainly not helped by the script. <laughs> the, s- the script is, is it, I mean, even if they were good, the script would have probably held them back. Like, it, you, you kind of mm-hmm. go, you know, you basically go, okay, it's Tamara Morrison and the others. And there's, yep. like, you know, the Asian chick who is played by Stephanie Jacobson, who looks very familiar for some reason, but I can't spot place her anywhere. Um, and um, it's, it's a mess. It's a mess of a story. Uh, which is a real shame, because it had some interesting ideas. Mm. Uh, I mean, I, I think the idea of an alien invasion film in Australia is, to me at least, an interesting idea. Mm. It, an idea of an alien invasion film that doesn't focus on the U.S. president trying to blow up a mothership, and you know, you know, today we celebrate our Independence Day, you know, like you know. What about the small, the, the 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 micro scale? You know, the macro scale, right? Mm. The global warfare effect. But what it would happen in, you know, if, you know, we extrapolate the idea of, you know, an Independence Day type attack, they probably would, you know, attack, you know, Australia at some point, uh, or it didn't even have to be. It was set in Australia, but like, what would happen in that rural town where the aliens landed? Right? I mean, yeah, um, we're not seeing jet fighters and presidents and Air Force One, but we're seeing local people, you know, fighting for their families in their town. and yeah. uh, That's an interesting idea to me. Um, it's basically what this film is. It's Red mm. Dawn of Aliens. Which um, is a cool idea. Which is a cool idea, right? I mean, we really don't yeah. have a, a substitute for the Russians right now, so the aliens <laughs> will do just fine. Um, and it's an interesting idea, except that – and they had a script. They had a, money to – yeah, the effects are okay. Mm. Um, you, know, you you forgive them if you had a decent script, but they do not. Mm. Um, so, I mean, you've kind of you can, you can set it up and so if I it's okay to sort of do Red Dawn of Aliens, that's that's fine if I pick that up. But mm. you know, if you think back to Red Dawn, I mean, the, the quality of the stars in that, I mean, you know, I think it was Emilio Estevez and Patrick Swayze and mm. uh, not Archimedes. Um, Jennifer Grey was in that, if I recall correctly. Yeah. Um, It was just such a – the characters were interesting to a degree or interesting enough. Yeah. I mean, it was basically a dumb 80s action movie, but the characters – you're invested in the character struggle to some degree because everybody's so anonymous Mm. in in Occupation. You know, you're kind of like, hang on a second, is that the main dude or is that another dude? Oh, no, sorry, that's another dude. Like – I mean, I just struggle to remember who any of these people were, what their motivations were, what was going on. So essentially, Timmy and for example, mm. half of his family were taken prisoner by by the aliens, and that's kind of his motivation. The rest of them, oh, I couldn't tell you. Couldn't remember. Does it even really matter? It kind of set it up at the start. I mean, there's a football game, which, I think, again, is an interesting setting. It's like a football game, an Australian rules football game going on when the aliens come over in their ships and start fucking stuff up like, yeah that's again a really interesting australian flavor on that alien invasion war of the world story mm. i liked that mm. but they instantly get sort of make it such a mess that scene and they there's so many different characters with so many different things going on you different relationships and you just haven't spent enough time with them to, to understand it or care mm. then when someone gets shot you're like I don't know. I don't care. I don't really remember who that guy was. Um, so,
0: anyway. Incidentally, uh, the original ending for Lost in Translation
1: was going to be the opening of an alien invasion. I, I would be down with that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Bill would, you know, sort of like Zombieland meets Independence Day. Um, oh, we just need to make that happen. <laughs> Somehow, Occupation Rainfall, the sequel, has a 7.5 in IMDB. So, I a significant-
0: I have a feeling that that's a process of limited options kind of thing. The movie industry needs people to start going back to cinemas. Well, that's what they really want. So it's like, oh, yeah, this is better than nothing,
1: right? Right? Um, (laughs) You to see that flattens out as more people see it. Um, Mm. The sequel has Jason Isaacs in it. Um, So they've obviously got – I mean, I'd read that that actually – the film had done well enough on, on on Netflix to to get a reasonable budget for the sequel, and then we've got...
0: Well, it only made like $35,000 in its initial run,
1: the first one, on a budget of $6 million. I, Again, I feel like all of its success have come from Netflix. Yeah, yeah. I would not be surprised if Netflix funded this. I, I don't know. And <sighs> that will end up back on there as soon as they got Ken Jong in this as well, which is interesting for a science fiction action film.
2: Mm-hmm. We've got
1: Vince Colosimo who's quite a well-known Australian actor again. Mm-hmm. Um I yeah I just read a story in the paper as I'd never heard of the first one. And I'm like, oh that's interesting. I'd never heard of the original occupation. I again you just don't see many genre films coming out of this country. And I yeah I do like to support genre films when they happen. I mean yeah um I'm trying to think of is it Daywalkers was probably the last one I could think of. It's going back to Daybreakers, Daybreakers, and that yeah. had even Hawk in it, and that was really, really good. Yeah. Uh, I know a lot of people didn't like it, but they're I wrong.
0: Enjoyed I enjoyed it. Um, that had Willem
1: um, Dafoe in it as well. It was it did, and, and, it, was and it was done by the Mysterio brothers, who also did a really good one in the early 2000s called Undead. Yeah. Um, they also did Predestination a few years ago. That was pretty good. Was excellent. So genre films can come out of this country if they're just a little bit rare, and unfortunately, look, if you if you saw the posters for the second one and go, oh, I'll go and check out the first one. Be mm. worn. <laughs> it's not good. It's not good at all. It's a slog. Yeah. A real slog. I'll I'll check it out. Eventually, your thoughts, because we all know I am the
0: drunken curmudgeon of the show. I'm the contrarian, so I'll probably like it.
1: Keep it interesting. All right. I think okay. you mentioned you were talking about Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yeah. So um, the
0: latest season available on Australian Netflix dropped at the beginning of this week, and I consumed all of it, even though it was a short season, which is very annoying. I hate it when they do short seasons. Um, but it was exactly more of the yeah season seven um and it was only 13 episodes but it was a great great thing they're keeping the characters generally fresh by bringing them into kind of new things like the the last episode uh called lights out is great it's essentially a blackout in new york and the ramifications of um Kind of what they what the police do in this comical way in the middle of Jake Peralta's character trying to get back to the precinct so that he can be there for the birth of his child, and it, it's it's just it's just more of what you get before. So if you like Brooklyn Nine Nine, they keep it going, but unlike so many of those comedy shows where you get like maybe four five seasons of really good stuff and then it just kind of goes okay this is boring this is shit you're kind of invested in the characters are developing developing interestingly and they're being put into these new uh new scenarios that are good and interesting and there's one uh, an episode i think it's in season eight it's not out here yet where jake peralta gets to essentially live out his diehard fantasy and it's like cool i want to see that (laughs) um so i've not really got much more to add to it beyond what i already said but every single one of the characters just does really well and they play with a lot of the stereotypes of a lot of action movies and action shows and just point out the stupidity of those scenarios in good ways that just make you kind of feel like i get that i've watched it could be anything from fucking Columbo to any of the Bruce Willis action movies. There's just infinite amounts of possible piss taking. And it's not parody style of flying high airplane kind of things, not the Abrams um, kind of parody movies or anything, but it's just kind of pointing at something going, yep, Jake Peralta loves this. He gets to do it, and it's not as good as he expected. He's seeing the the obvious lie that Hollywood has presented and stuff like that, but
1: it's done in a fun way. I've never watched any of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Um, what's a comedy you might compare it to? Hmm. I think Cherry, Cherry's a fan. I think he's yeah. uh, season seven has just come to Netflix. Cherry, yeah. feel free to, to chime in with a... Uh, yeah, what what would you think is a simile for, for Brooklyn
0: Nine Nine, Chewy? Um, hmm, that's that's a tough one. There's there's cut. It's character based comedy, kind of very very brushing slightly with stuff like um, maybe black books. That absurd absurdist character scenario um
1: so sanitized workplace comedy yeah yeah like it, The office
0: no no it's not like that it's not dry comedy like the office or anything of that ilk it's more much more obviously played for for laughs um whereas that's kind of like office space kind of everyone has experienced this
1: um, and then that, that hasn't got that faux documentary lens. No,
0: like. no, not at all. This this is um, multi camera, not that documentary feel. It's oh fuck! What, what, what I'm going to see what IMDb al- uh, suggests as an alternative because I really don't know. It's in in some ways similar to um, like how uh, Palm Springs is. Kind of like Groundhog Day, but not really. This is kind of also falls into that kind of bracket.
1: We're comparing it to Friends, How I Met Your Mother, and a Big Bang
0: no. Theory. No, it's it's not like Friends at all. Maybe a little bit of Big Bang, but no, it's always sunny. Yeah, that's probably closer. Um, yeah i'd say and maybe kind of community, community. Which, yeah yeah that that kind of thing is it's closer to what it's like but generally speaking all the things that it's saying you might also like are completely wrong they've got some really good shows in there but um Lucifer, black no, Mirror. no
1: it's it's it looks like has black mirror in there yeah
0: it's it's nothing like a black mirror episode
1: Nothing. So it's a very strange, it's like an anthology series, so yeah. My um, main turnoff has always been that I don't particularly enjoy Andy Sandberg's comedy, it's always very mm. broad, very dick joke, fart joke, yeah, focused. But that said, I enjoyed him very much in Palm Springs, so yeah, it's
0: like it's more of the early elements of Palm Springs, Andy Sandberg, he doesn't have quite the the level of maturity that he has in palm springs so you probably get tired of it pretty quick
1: i should have to try it are all seven seasons on
2: netflix
0: yeah yeah but if you don't like it after the first first episode you won't like it because it definitely hits its tone straight away and it kind of goes yep this is what we're shooting for and this is this is all that we're going to do and it just does that and i think uh, chewy is very very on the money saying it's got a postmodern comedy style that's very much referential to pop culture and plays with stereotypes and is he's a man with words he knows how to use words he's got the he has best, the best words. words he has the best words and yes plenty of dick
1: fart and sex jokes well i think i'm going to hate it but i'll check it out
0: yeah, it's it's worth i think 22 minutes an episode I think is how long they run you so can get
1: from these days
0: yeah but yeah so that's that's just Brooklyn 99.
1: did you have something else no no I didn't I would like then to transition and I'm going to talk about something quickly goodness me that I had a go at this week but I I, I didn't think I was going to finish occupation I got about halfway through and I said mm-hmm. yeah no I'm out <laughs> um, but then this afternoon I had nothing to do and I was um, in a bad mood and I thought, fuck it, what a perfect time to watch the second half of a movie I didn't much like the first half of. Torture um, yourself properly. Exactly. I mean, you know, I mean, what about some more misery? That'll do a job. Um, so, but Cats? I, sorry? Cats? <laughs> no, goodness, no. Um, maybe for a dare. Um, yeah. But I... Um, I this uh, that was the second half of Occupation, but yesterday evening I thought I'd seen around some uh reviews and stuff for the new Amazon Prime uh sci fi romance thing called Bliss, starring Owen Wilson and Salma Hayek. Okay, directed by Mike Cahill, which was the one thing that interested me. He directed a, cut, a film uh about 10 years ago mm. called Another Earth. Um, starring, um, oh yeah, uh, her name Britt Marling, I think her name was. Uh, yeah, Britt Marling, who I became a huge fan of, and I saw the next film she did with Mike Cahill called something else. Eye Origins had Michael Pittman, which I also really, really enjoyed. So I was like, oh well, you know, the reviews on this aren't good, but I really enjoy Mike Cahill's previous work. Oh. I got halfway through this. Oh dear, and I stopped. Um, a mind-bending love story following Greg, who, after recently being divorced and been fired, meets the mysterious Isabel, a woman living on the streets and convinced that the polluted, broken world around them is a computer simulation. Um, and he's to say I'm not going to go back and watch the second half because there was something a bit... Again, there was the seed of a wonderful idea mm. um, in the, in this, which... I think they've completely messed up okay. um, in the sense of it has that interesting, I mean, interesting angle on that whole, you know, a little bit, we talked a little bit about the 13th floor of the other week. Are we living in a simulation?
2: Mm.
1: Um, and Salma Hayek's character has, you know, Owen Wilson is this utterly miserable character who works in a coal center at the start of the film. Despite the fact he has an office, he must have been pretty important. But I do enjoy having been someone who worked a lot of time for a lot of years in call centers once upon a time. That the go to setting for a completely miserable workplace existence is a call center. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, And the call center is called Technical Difficulties. Um, And he is called into his boss's office and fired for reasons. Not really. I don't is, like your face anymore. It's the United States, so they are allowed to do that. Chewie. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how we used to do our movie challenges. Was very drunk when George mm-hmm. had to watch Epic Movie and Superhero Movie and Grease yeah. Two and um, I think there was yeah. another one in there. It might have been one of the scary movies. Um, I had to watch a few of the scary movies. <sighs> uh, alcohol was not only allowed; it was encouraged.
0: Yep. <laughs> it was a, a
1: health and safety requirement to watch some of those movies. want kind of a Montana, movie didn't watch itself, um, but <laughs> they are behind us. Um, so we, we see Owen get fired, and in the process of being fired, I'm sorry, spoilers here, but you trust me, I'm doing you a favor. Um, he kills his boss uh, and has to hide the um, hide the body. And then goes across the road to a bar where he meets Selma Hayek, who somehow, within about five minutes, convinces him that they both are actually these real people living in the simulation, and that none of the people around them are actually real; they're all simulations, and that they t- they alone have the power to control what yeah. happens in the simulation going on around them. And as the film sort of goes on, he sort of moves in with her, and she lives in like a shanty under an overpass kind of, like, in a homeless camp, and she's like, oh, I'm not homeless, I'm off the grid. Um, okay. And, yeah, these sort of existence is sort of, you are like, okay, they're basically living like homeless people, but they think they're really Freer. people who are living in a computer simulation. Yeah, um, is it a comedy? No. Okay. No, I don't think so. I don't, I don't remember any laughs. But <laughs> you think for Owen Wilson, right, because he's... Yeah. Known for, he looks kind of bored in this film. He really seems out of place. Okay. Um, Selma Hayek is also kind of miscast, I think, at least the first half of the film made me feel that way. And it's kind of weird. You never really kind of, it's really twisted. And which is kind of, again, if you've ever seen anything that Mike Cahill's done before, that's kind of what he does. Uh, Another Earth, which I said was a wonderful film, it's pretty trippy um so it's kind of a it's a weird messed up kind of story and i mean you know by the end maybe it all makes sense Mm. um but it's only an hour 43 minutes but i'd suggest i made it to about the 50 minute mark and said yeah "Yeah, this is pretty bad i don't know i'm kind of curious to see what it comes up at the end Mm i mean I'm pretty sure it's just going to come out that he's just being a fucking junkie living on the street the whole time, and it's all been going on in his head. Yeah. Um, it's sitting on 38 for a Metacritic score with 20 critics, so not doing well. It's not, and I guess if you put the title of science fiction on it, you'd be like um, expecting, and we get to set an expectation. I mean, you're probably thinking spaceships. Mm. um i guess you could fight obviously the more black mirror family of science fiction yeah I, uh,
0: you, it kind of sounds a little bit like um vanilla sky kind of thing
1: yeah yeah I, I, but i didn't i didn't like vanilla sky um mm, yeah, uh, yeah. and it's worse than that um <laughs> so but like i guess, again it's like you have this nugget of an idea in there You're like i think i can see what he's going for after 50 minutes at least Yeah. 50 minutes worth of the idea. And you're like, that's an interesting idea. And you're exploring. I think you were trying to explore something interesting. So points for trying, Mm. but you still failed.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So,
1: so look, if you're on, you're like me, and, you know, you go, hey, sci-fi, that's interesting. And you go, you sell my High School Wilson film. Yeah. Yeah, we maybe we're going back into lockdown in Melbourne. Who the fuck knows? Oh, um, no, please, no, please, no. <laughs> you're not in Melbourne. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I don't want to
0: lose my job.
1: <laughs> well, yes, but they didn't... They kept you working there before, so fingers crossed. Um, but um, it's, uh, you know, if you're looking for something to watch and you're like, there is a sort of fairly limited choice of things at times, you know, mm-hmm. um, of new stuff that sounds interesting that you want to watch. Do not be fooled by the listy sort of looking cast
2: mm. uh,
1: yeah uh, it's
0: so it's so strange how like um, amazon and netflix and all these platforms that are creating their original content movies they can be really cool little nugget ideas movies just well made or they're just utter wreck and it seems like they they haven't yet worked out a way of quality control and i guess I mean, i'll even
1: say it doesn't matter
0: that's a fair point that's a fair point but, but
1: and especially
0: like, in the co- current climate but it doesn't matter
1: because it's not like cinema right where you're competing with yeah you know, normal circumstances you know when new dc film when you marvel film Maybe mm. a Star Wars thing, you know. Maybe a DreamWorks thing, you know. Maybe a Minions mm-hmm. movie. I don't know. Um, and you know, if someone if a review's will come man and go, "Bliss is a giant turd," mm. I mean, some of you may see it and say, "It's a giant turd." Word of mouth and the critics' reviews will really kill it in the cradle, right? People aren't going to go and see it when they could go and see the, you know, something higher profile that's got a, a better review. Yeah. On on Amazon, a who reads reviews for Amazon films? Not many. True. Um, and if your friends have seen it, the chances that they're going to tell you about it probably again, pretty slim because maybe they turned it off halfway through and switched on Tiger King again, you
0: know? And that's going to be some, that's something that um, you're never going to get really on any of the streaming services is any kind of rating system because they are not going to want to be associated with, oh, they've got shit movies. Look, look at this movie on Netflix. It's only got a th- uh, three out of ten. Is it like, no? Why are you even bothering streaming that? No one's going to watch it unless it's us torturing ourselves. Um, so it's it's kind
1: of yeah, like that. After a refund because they didn't like Bliss. <laughs> so I mean, I don't. As long as it's content, and yeah. I guess it does matter to the point where. Yeah, you know, I guess the mooc I assume, is some sort of someone on Netflix surely has a, a dashboard that says, you know, a number of hours people spend watching a particular thing. Oh yeah. Uh, that's that's what they want really. And uh, you know, the fact it's got two stars in it that people recognize is probably gonna do the job.
0: Yeah, it's gonna get enough people in
1: the door. Um but you people know, are just gonna watch it with their and th- play on their phone for the whole thing. And then someone's going go, Oh, did you watch that Samuel Hayek thing yesterday? And I go, Yeah, I don't remember what it was about.
0: Yeah, it's, it's the same thing with all of the um, Adam Sadler movies. Uh, you know, the, there's there's a small group of people that enjoy them and we just have them in the background just so that they feel like they've got company.
1: Even so, if it's... Yeah, we thought like three or four years ago now like it was, it, that Netflix was becoming a director video you know, of the 21st century, and I don't think it's hurt them.
0: Yeah, all, all all the streaming platforms are really kind of being hurt, and it certainly doesn't help the fact that production of new new content is extremely difficult to do these days but still there you kind of feel like all right i think every single one of these companies is going to have be developing some kind of contingency plan should this ever happen again fingers crossed it doesn't or should it just continue or continue to get worse
1: i mean one thing i've noticed and Mm. maybe you've noticed it as well Mm. is there's a significantly bigger spotlight now Mm on international content on the streaming platforms than you ever saw before. Oh. Like it's really plugging to me like Brazilian shows and German shows and Japanese shows, and yeah. they wouldn't be on the front, you know, the front page of big banners, yeah. you know, uh, 12, 12, 18 months ago. Right. Mm. It they, they were there. If you wanted to watch dark, it was there.
0: Yeah. But, Just looking you know, at, looking at the, um, my um, Netflix right now, it's got trending. Now you've got, Space Sweepers, The Equalizer, Cobra Kai, um, Superstore, Legend of Korra, The Office, Bridgerton, Fate, Oh, Catherine Heigl, Firefly Lane, Big Bang Theory, Parks and Rec, Outside the Wire. It's it's a lot of Netflix exclusive stuff that's that's very international, shall we say.
1: And that's, I'm not that's about, curious about like actual international films like Parasite, obviously mm. kind on of a very high profile, but then I mean, like, actual, I mean, obviously Netflix makes content in a number of different countries. I don't know if they've made anything in Australia, actually, to be honest, but um, mm. um, some of the other streaming services have. I, I know Stan certainly has made some Australian um, local mm. content, the romper stomp of a TV series and that kind of thing. Mm. Um, you now, Netflix absolutely should be forced to make content in Australia the way TV stations are, but you know, we'll wait and see if that ever happens. But I imagine I know they're obviously making content in other markets that are a little bit bigger than ours. Um, but it's interesting now that I guess their actual English language content is running a bit thin, mm. um, so they've kind of put a bigger focus on the stuff they've been making overseas, mm. which maybe their us their English speaking market would have passed over.
0: Yeah and um, I mentioned it last week of you know more we're probably going to see when um, all of those renewed shows from a year, a year and a half, two years ago would finally come out like Sex Education, The Witcher, um, probably even stuff like The Boys on the Amazon is probably not going to be a season dump it's going to be week, 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 week to stretch it out so that it, they can build more because they've seen this amazing success of that water cooler moment conversation that we talked about with wandavision being week after week they're going to want to stretch it out as much as they can and get people talking about it saying oh that was so good i can't wait for the next episode get more people signing up
1: but and i think that's going to be the way for a while
2: Mm -hmm.
1: did you have anything else you wanted to talk about nothing else i have put my uh my reputation as the curmudgeon online—I've bitched and moaned enough tonight. Well, there you go. You have backed it up, sir. You've backed it up. Thank you
0: to Chewy for Juan, uh, for Miss Foxy for joining in in the chat. It's always nice to see people actually interacting with us, and hope we interacted back. That's good. It's been
1: lack of airplane-related content this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, do better next week, guys.
0: Yep. Um, although, isn't it actually to talk about airplane and Top Gun? And Hot Shots with someone at work um, only the other day. So it's the, so, the, the seed has been put done. in. <laughs> but uh, thank you very much. This was episode 100. We talked about our latest chain movie, which was Lost in Translation. Next week, we're going to watch um, Sam Raimi's 2000 um, <coughs> classic, The Gift. We uh, talked about episode five of WandaVision. Travis talked about Occupation. Um, I just uh, loved a little bit more of um, Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Travis Shat all over Bliss. <laughs> you know, uh, someone's uh, to do it. <laughs> someone's got to do it. We, we watch these terrible movies, so you don't have to, and that's a guarantee, and probably our next T-shirt. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, and have a good night. Stay safe. Wear a fucking mask if you're in Australia, anywhere in the world. Just wear a fucking mask. Wear it properly.
2: Don't Everything take it personally when someone
0: says, oh, can you put your mask on? Just do it. So thank you very much and we'll see you next time.
1: Good, Good night. night.
0: Thank you for listening to Armchair Producers. We are a weekly podcast every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. We appreciate your support. Thank you for listening to our podcast. And if you'd like to follow along live, Please go to twitch.tv slash the brain where you can actually also donate to us, as well as watching us live on youtube.com slash frybrainproductions or facebook.com slash brain productions. Thank you and see you next time. Bye bye.